Welcome to the Digital Ascent Podcast. This is episode 0002. In this episode, we talk about gaming subscriptions, launchers, and digital rights. We hope you enjoy. Alrighty. So, here we all are. And here we all are. Yeah. Everybody's ready, yeah, right? Here. Everybody oh, yeah. did all the research, right? <laughs> uh, Wait, research? 15 minutes of it, sure did. 15 minutes uh, of it, love it. Okay. So this is going to be raw. Okay, that's fine. So this week, we're taking it a bit lighter, less... I won't, I won't say less information heavy because my research <laughs> took me down some rabbit holes, but um, we're going to go with gaming platforms and how many there are and what does gaming look like now and is it is the future subscriptions, right? We're also going to look at uh, what our rights are as gamers and then get into some DRM at the end. So digital rights management, which are sort of hand in hand. And you'll have to forgive me. I am on the tail end of not feeling well. So I sound a little nasally, but that's why. But yeah, so those, those that's kind of what we're starting with. And I guess we'll get started with the multitude of gaming services. Uh, if you guys don't mind, I'd actually like to start out talking about uh, what's going on with PlayStation, right? Because yeah. PlayStation had their PS Now, uh, which was their subscription service. Um, and it, I mean, it's a pretty cool service. You know, you pay a few bucks a month. You get access to PlayStation games. If you own a PlayStation, it's the only way that you're going to play PlayStation games unless you can figure out how to get the emulators going. Uh, it has some drawbacks. You do need a PlayStation controller to play all the PlayStation games because of the touchpad. Some of them will work without the touchpad, but... It, it does seem like it's pretty hit and miss in my personal experience. And if you come up a point, you come to a point where you need that touchpad and all you have is an Xbox controller, um, then 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 you're out of luck. Now the interesting thing is that they're rebranding, right? They're they're setting up a new service. It's called it's called PS Plus. And um, you know, I as a subscriber to PS Now should probably know. I should, I should say, as I was a subscriber to PS Now, as I am now a subscriber to PS Plus, I, I personally should know a little bit more about what that means for people who are PS Now and or PS Plus subscribers, however you want to, I guess, discuss that or just describe that. But I, I really don't. And honestly, I wish I had spent my time researching what, what the heck that means for me. And I, I'm really hoping as we're talking about this, one of you guys is going to happen to know. A little bit more than me so i think that's going to be jordy yeah yeah i i want to i want to hop in here just really quickly and i wanted um just to find a few of the points that we've um just kind of hit on so far uh because i there are a couple different platforms i think we're gonna kind of switch between or discuss and i i just want to make sure that you know, we're, we're pacing ourselves as we go through. So sean you know uh and brent were talking on on uh you know I am I'm losing the term now. What is the like a steam or a or an epic, right? Like a like, like a, a launcher. Yeah, like a client. I, I think that the more appropriate phrasing in this case would be digital storefront, because at the end of the day, it's really a commerce center and a license right. provisioning, cent provisioning but, center. 
for the sake of uh, just consistency, the client or, you know, our listeners would probably be more centered with the term, you know, just launcher, game launcher, right? So you have your game launchers. That's true. Yeah. Um, and we'll, just, to, just to simplify it, right? Um, and I just want to be clear. I'm sure we will talk about, you know, game launchers and exactly what Matt was talking about, digital storefronts. Um, but we're really going to hit the ground running here. Uh, and I'm sure in just a few moments I'm holding us up um, with subscription services. That's the big thing uh, I think that mm -hmm. we're going to be kind of hammering in here. Uh, so we're not attacking Steam. <laughs> we're not attacking Steam. We're not attacking, you know, um, you know, like an EA player or anything like that. But we are. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to define those things, discuss those things, and then try to figure out, Hey, are, are these, you know, for the gaming industry as a whole, for the player, are these the best things that, you know, uh, that, that we have planned for us, uh, as far as, as looking to the future. So, uh, I don't know that I explained that in the most efficient way, but I did just want to break that down or try to make that distinction before we went, um, any further. So, <laughs> Uh, I apologize for the awkward kind of insertion there. No, 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 no. You're fine, man. So what I would say is the current event would be the conversion from PS Now to PS Plus. And so that's sort of a console-based discussion primarily. And then we'll we'll get into all of them later on and what the subscriptions look like and you know, like you said, kind of diving into what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the future of gaming? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. how do we, how do we, how do we really feel about that? Because you know me, because we've had some offline conversations and how <laughs> I feel about it. So it should get pretty spicy. So let's focus on PS Now. That's what I want to start with. Yeah, so so the big shift I think that Matt was talking about earlier uh, that would be in the industry that everybody's kind of that would be tracking these things would be kind of of the mind of um, is the big subscription shift that PlayStation uh, just made. So previously, you know, the big seller for uh, PS Now, um, which was the, you know, the previous name, right, was, hey, this is the Xbox Live of PlayStation. You get access to Sony exclusives. It's the exactly. only way that you get access to Sony exclusives without paying $300 plus for a console plus plus the video game itself. And this is, some of the yeah. I mean it's I mean it it's it's really I I really it's very frustrating. I wish it was a better service. And and I hate saying that, but I wish I wish it was a better service. But that sounds it, like they're holding you at gunpoint though. Well, this They're is saying, what well, you can only at. get this. Yeah. Well, hold on, hold on. But it wasn't an option. See, I look at it a different way. It wasn't an option, you know, five years ago for me. So, I mean, they could just not offer anything at all. Right. <laughs> this is, I just want to throw out there what, no Matt, here. <laughs> what Matt is pointing out is this is uh, PS Now was was one of the the subscription service that that was, was that was Sony's answer to xbox is like cloud streaming so if you paid matt what was the price tag on that was it 10 bucks or 15 okay so so ps now i purchased a year which went came in i think it was 60 bucks a year or 10 bucks a month and i looked at it and i said shoot i'm gonna play god of war i'm gonna play the latest god of war that's probably worth 60 bucks right there and then i'll probably work through the last of us 
I haven't done it yet, but I probably will. And maybe I'll knock out a Drake or two. Uh, all of these contingent upon the fact that I are contingent upon the fact I can get my hands on a PS controller that has the little touchpad uh, or the games don't require the touchpad, which I may not know until 20 hours into the game. I'm very, I'm sorry. I'm very well, salty. About and the, yeah, the reason I can, I totally get that, Matt. The, the reason I had asked was I just wanted to make sure. So you paid 60 bucks a year. And it, again, this nothing. was Sony's answer to, um, you know, the cloud streaming on the Xbox side. So Matt is primarily mm-hmm. a PC player. He does not yes. own a PlayStation. PS Now is nope. great for somebody like Matt because he can access a you know certain amount of uh, PlayStation titles from his computer, and he doesn't have and to download travel. any of them. Uh, he can navigate to the PlayStation website, and he is streaming these things. Uh, is, and when I say, is, st- I, I'm sorry, man, I won't hop in and say uh, on one side it is so good for travel. I need any networked device. Oh, I have a phone. Well, I don't, I don't actually think the phone works in this case, but it does work for Game Pass, right? But yes. I mean, I take a laptop and a controller, and bang, I'm I'm playing no matter I'm playing, you know, AAA games no matter where I am. Yeah, you know, and you don't. That's get, the like, great thing about streaming is you don't need to download them. Uh, so Matt is uh, is essentially logging on to a server, you know, sitting somewhere mm-hmm. on Sony's side, and the game is being ran somewhere physically away from matt you know what i mean I, I, uh, but he i can... imagine it's a virtualized ps5 or ps4 yes or exactly yeah it's it's a it's a i'd almost said make believe playstation but that w- terminology <laughs> would have been right <laughs> i mean um, i mean for i mean oh, to no. some degree it's kind of man it might i mean to some degree it might as well be a make believe playstation it's, yeah somebody exactly. has programmed some hardware to em- to make it look like it's a playstation to yep. as far as like the game is concerned the game thinks it's running on a playstation and, and, you know, this is the and I want to kind of like segue into like what Matt was expressing of not understanding what was going on, you know, between mm-hmm. the the subscription shifts. I'm going to be very upfront with you, Matt. Uh, there's a part of me that doesn't completely understand myself. However, all right. Now, don't be frightened because I'm hopefully uh, hopefully I can give you some <laughs> like points of reassurance here or understanding of what this service is. But part of my confusion is because I don't like as I'm looking at I've looked at this, you know, subscription tier layout multiple times. I've got it in front of me right now. All right. Now, I know that uh, they had, you know, Sony had two or three, you know, subscriptions that were all just rolled into different things so that PlayStation could fit this new, you know, feature and and offer, you know, feature offering right to to its audience. Uh, this, again, is to compete with xbox's you know digital cloud you know uh library right uh the idea there is a lot of and this isn't something that's very specific to game pass uh but xbox has been fantastic about backwards compat uh compatibility and and just making sure that games preservation as a whole i'm gonna i'm gonna star that right there we're gonna come back to that later um is something that they are contributing to so what I mean by that is they're taking titles from four or five generations ago on the Xbox side and making sure that, you know, we as gamers can still play those games 10, 15 years later, right? On different hardware that the game wasn't built on. Um, and Xbox has been making those strides for the better part of the last decade. Um, and so a lot of the new bells and whistles in these subscriptions that Sony has been kind of toting around um, include 
a lot of backwards compat titles for PlayStation. Um, so no longer, you know, is the offering, you know, for PS now, it was strictly PS4 titles at its launch. Um, and then I think that, you know, expanded into not just, you know, play PlayStation 4 titles, but a, a wide range of PS4, PS3, and then it expanded again. And now with this new service, the titles range a lot of different generations for PlayStation, not just a handful, right? So, so Jordy, um, let me yes, let me stop you here. We'll for go ahead a second. and pause there. Yeah. So, what you're saying is the PS Now versus the PS Plus is part of the differentiation between the two is that you get more backwards compatibility. Yes. Okay. You're getting. I wanted yeah, to clarify. So that's the big one. That's the big one for PS for PS. Plus, I, I'm looking at it now. I think it depends on what tier you're in. It specifically looks like. Oh no, gosh, there's so, tiers. Oh, so this is so. Uh, this suffers from what I personally consider to be the branding nightmare that starts to occur. It's a branding uh, nightmare. I'm, yes, it, it's a branding nightmare. We have PlayStation Plus Essential, PlayStation Plus Extra, yep. PlayStation Plus Premium, and it looks like Essential is would be useless to me. I don't actually know what you get here. Two downloadable games a month. I mean, that might. This is literally just your money. online. That's that online pass to play with your friends. Wait, you can hold party on, up in a lobby on. with people. It It's still like, like, hold on. If I don't pay that $10 a month, I'm, I can't, I can't go shoot baddies with my buddies. Oh, absolutely not. This is not, there's nothing new about this. If you're a console owner. I know, uh, I know, yeah, I know, there's nothing I know. New about this. <laughs> I know I used to have an Xbox. I just, you know, I figured that those days were over. All right. Okay, yeah. Here's, cool. here's the so, warning for everybody. Matt's a, Matt's an old timer. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, last time I was synced up, uh, it was 360. No. Yeah. Actually the same thing rings true for Sean too. Anyways, Matt, so, please continue. Uh, all right. So, so it looks like you get the extra, you get, you get, you got to pay the $10 to get online with your friends. Yeah. Uh, and then an extra five bucks to get uh, as a catalog of up to 400 of the most enjoyable games of PS4 and PS5 games. I'm, I'm laughing right now because I'm going, how do you quantify most enjoyable? Like that, that feels seems like, like a really like, subjective term. That, that feels think- like you think that that's a claim that requires a metric and i don't think that you can metricize most enjoyable you're exactly well. right matt uh <laughs> and i think to their point this is it's all going to be stuff that was exclusive right to play when you think about the playstation brand mm-hmm. maybe not exclusive but stuff that you would tie to that playstation brand stuff that was successful to the playstation name over the last 20 years or however long they've been making 20 plus years uh that playstation has been making games it's going to be the bangers throughout the last 20 years. Uh, so the funny thing about it though, is not all of those games are downloadable. Some of those games mm-hmm. are only accessible through mm-hmm. cloud streaming because Sony has not mastered the art of emulation. Uh, and I'm throwing that out as an uneducated jab. Uh, but I know that Xbox has had this figured out for a long time because of their parent company, uh, Microsoft, it has not been a problem for them. Uh, so this is not me being mean or unfair to Sony. I'm just offering a very lighthearted explanation <laughs> as to why some of these games are restricted to cloud streaming. Well, there, there's a big technical difference there too, though, because traditionally anyways, Microsoft has developed consoles that are more akin to a standard consumer desktop computer. Exactly right. 
than Sony has. Sony has always kind of gone against the grain with their consoles and they've built very specific hardware for gaming that is usually very, very different than your consumer PC. And they're now paying the price for it and kind of customer loyalty in terms of backwards compatibility to where Microsoft can turn around and say, well, you know, we've been building essentially a computer this entire time, all the way since the original Xbox. And now we can emulate without any, you know, huge amount of hardware increase, especially cost increase. We can emulate that right on our console in addition yep. to being able to stream some of these things. So that's, that's yep. really the big difference there. I don't want to get too deep into that because it's highly technical, but that is, that is kind of the gist of that, that like that ties yeah. into your, your argument there. Um, and I, I think it's safe to say that back to, you know, PlayStation now versus PlayStation plus, especially the premium package, cause you got premium extra and essential the premium. I would say any of the tiers, the person that's going to get the best bang for their buck, regardless is going to be a PlayStation console owner. Yeah, the person, the, the, the yes. only way that the premium even comes into play for someone like me that doesn't own a PlayStation console, and the same for someone like Matt, is going to be that premium tier. And then we're going to, the only reason we're going to even be looking at that is for the exclusivity of the Sony titles that happen to be in that cloud streaming service, like Uncharted, yeah, like God of War. Hold on. This yes. Is, I, I'm sorry. This is, I actually don't think that's correct. It looks very specifically like the extra tier is going to include the blockbuster hits. It explicitly talks, says that the extra tier is going to is going to contain at launch death stranding, God of war, Marvel, Spider-Man, Marvel, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, Mortal Kombat 11 and Returnal. If you read the close fine print, it looks specifically like premium has its PS3, PS2, OG PlayStation, and PSP. So if you want to pay the extra $3 it is for the premium there, uh, if you do it on a monthly basis, or um, it looks like maybe $20 a year or something like that, it, it looks like it's going to get you access to to some of the old, older stuff. It looks like the PlayStation Extra is only going to give you access to current gen. So, uh, and and I guess you're exactly right, is, Matt. Yeah, my, my, my argument is, is Extra's best bang for buck. I, my understanding was, and, and I don't know if this is ever clarified anywhere. Maybe you guys have read other things, but my understanding was in terms of cloud streaming to the PC, it was premium only. Yes. I believe, uh, I believe you're, cor- you're correct there, Brent. I think that what we got mixed up was, oh, no. I think the only difference between the premium and the extra, or one of the only differences was they were tying that backwards compatibility, you know, those right, OG right. titles. Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking a lot of different, tier. there's a lot of different points here. And this is why, this <laughs> exactly. is why this shift is so controversial is because yeah. it is not very clearly written really anywhere, in my opinion, line for line, what is and isn't in some of these tiers, especially in comparison to PlayStation Now, and especially for the PC consumer that would be looking at the service. At least that's my know, opinion. And here you're I think you're I think you're very correct. And I'm gonna kind of shift us in a in a different angle here, right? And I'm gonna shift over to Game Pass for just a, a, a moment here, just to compare the two services. Okay. So when we look at the type of, you know, when I'm looking at a not that I'm a big market guy or a big industry share observer or anything like that, but one of the things that makes me really happy about Game Pass. Um, is that it is 
And I'm throwing out there that I'm very biased towards Xbox anyway. So there's that disclaimer before I start uh, shoveling any of their <laughs> stuff towards you. OK, uh, but Game Pass is very easy to understand. OK, um, if you want, you know, just your basic, you know, access to the library and you're just a casual console player, well, then you have Game Pass and that is it. Right. If you are a hardcore player and you want you know, the the library on your Xbox, you know, on your console and your PC. Well, then you have Game Pass Ultimate and that will give you both libraries. And then there's it's there's there's separate, you know, Game Pass PC version for if you are just a PC player. So, you know, Xbox is really trying to brand towards that. We are an ecosystem, not just a console platform. We don't care what platform you're on. We're agnostic. Uh, join our join our little, you know, party over here. Right. Um, and if you navigate to their site, it's very simple. Like they're, they are very, there is no, the only difference between, you know, regular game pass and game pass ultimate on either side, whether you're on console or PC is what library you have access to. If you have regular game pass, you have you know, access to libraries on console. And if you have ultimate, you have access to console titles and PC titles. And that's the, that's the big distinguisher. Um, and now Xbox is really starting to add in some of those new features. Um, you know, cloud streaming has been a thing. So I think they, uh, very similar to, you know, Sony, they tie, you know, I think the cloud streaming, I'm, I may not be right on this. I'm not sure. I don't know that Xbox ties the cloud streaming to the ultimate subscription. Yeah, um, they do. It's, it's, it's they the do. Okay. So yeah. And you can access it via web browser and it works great. Absolutely. Yes. The cloud it's, streaming it's very on the Xbox side it. works. And man, I want to throw it's out here f f that you're adding nice. that out. Like Xbox is having their, their guys, you know, they're constantly testing and, and adding features to this, you know, program. I've been a part of Xbox's like X cloud or cloud streaming, you know, platform since it was in its alpha. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and toot that horn there. Like I helped to alpha test that, you know, platform. And what we see now as consumers is not what, I mean, the, the, it's great now. Um, and they've pushed out a lot of new, you know, updates and like, um, server side, like, upgrades to kind of enhance the streaming process on stuff that's not necessarily running in, in consoles. It's just post-processing stuff um, like FPS boosts and, and, you know, uh, cloud technical shenanigans and stuff, you know, just to, to keep the game smooth and, and stuff like that. But it is, it is a, it's a phenomenally, you know, smooth uh, um, experience, I guess, you know, I'll say, I'll throw that out there, but um, everything. Yeah. It's plug and play. I feel like with Xbox, like I still feel yes. like we've talked about this for 20 minutes and I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to be difficult, but there is still a little bit of confusion for me on the PlayStation side. And this is supposed to be a service that mirrors the Xbox subscription. It's not supposed to be a direct competitor, mind you, but they restructured their subscription service to match what Xbox was putting out there. And there's a little bit of this that confuses me, like the different amounts of checkboxes here and the fine print changes for these three tiers. And maybe I am just being difficult. I don't know. I, it's, it's the so, ease, use of ease. So to me. summarize what I'm hearing is, and that's what I've been doing this whole time is listening. 
because honestly, I, I don't really care about PlayStation. Sure. <laughs> That's yeah. my own personal <laughs> you're bias. You're truly like, you're pretty biased, forward. Sean. Yeah. I, I don't care about yeah. PlayStation. Or unbiased, Which is why I, I let you run with this Not one. biased. Yeah. So the problem is from your point of view, from what you've dug into, the simplicity isn't as as developed there as Xbox Game Pass in comparison to PS Plus. The subscription service, not really sure what you're getting and doesn't function maybe as well because it's not been as mm, refined. Would that yes. be an accurate summarization that of is, what you're... Yeah, that's pretty fair. Essentially, both services, you are paying money and in some way, shape or form, you're being offered a digital library um, varying to, you know, in different tiers and different, you know, the both libraries are massive and they're going to continue to grow. Right. Um, right. and that is the consistent between, you know, or the constant between the two of them, you pay money, mm. you're getting access to a digital library. Uh, as long as you continue to pay this reoccurring fee month to month, the minute that you stop mm. paying that access to that library goes away. I know we talked a lot about a lot of different things, but that's the gist right, of those two services. And that is a perfect segue into the first point, which is the multitude of different gaming services now. And this is the future. I'm going to go ahead and make Absolutely. that statement. There, there is no going backwards. You heard it here first, so, a digital asset. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't caught on to the trend now, Basically, everything I've seen and read is this is the future. And what you also touched on, which is streaming. Streaming games. Yeah. And so now, you know, now let's let's broaden out into PC, Switch, PlayStation, Xbox, everything, right? So you've got... Hey, Sean? Yeah. I got a question. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm just gonna be contrarian here. If this is if this is the future, where's where's Steam? Where's Epic? Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, I oh, we'll I, I definitely think I can answer okay. that. I can okay. bridge go, that for go, you. Yeah. Go ahead. Because yeah. this is the, that's a serious question I have. Because I, I also tend to agree that this is this is probably the future. Uh, but I also have am going, well, if this is the future, where are the key players right this second and why aren't they bullying everybody out of the market? And, and yep. for our listeners, just real quick, I want to differentiate before we get go on fully, before Sean takes it fully away here, because we've, we've kind of blended some things here. And for people that don't know, when we talk about Game Pass and PlayStation Now slash PlayStation Plus, we were kind of hyper-focused on the subscription base of those and the catalog of games that you get access to, hence Jordan's comparison to you know, a gamer's version of Netflix or Hulu or yeah. whatever. When we jump into Steam or and we're Game talking, Fly. you know, talk about that and we're talking about Epic Games and all that, they do not yet have a subscription platform where they offer a catalog of games. They are purely a a digital storefront, as right. as Matt was saying originally. And so we're kind of talking about two, yeah, two, for right now, two very different things. We're talking about subscriptions and getting access to a huge catalog of games a rotating catalog of games. So, yep. you know, you may subscribe for one game and then that game's gone in a month to where on Steam, if you buy the game, as long as Steam sticks around as a business, you have access to the game sort of deal. So go ahead, Sean. I, I just, I wanted to throw that out there before we even no, get that's started. So much, Brent. Yeah, I think no, we needed perfect. more yes, of those clarifications. <laughs> yeah, right. So thanks for yeah. sliding another one of those in there. Yes, thank you. So here's, so, 
okay, this is where it's going to start getting, I think, a little spicy. Because yes, sir. on your topic of subscriptions, that one of the key points you made was, I may have that game for an X amount of time, and then it may be gone. And I'm paying for a service that I might not want the majority of those games. So I'm paying for something that I may or may not use, or now I'm on a time limit. I'm going, okay, well, how much time do I have? I can't rotate through the games like I want to because I, I hop from game to game to game based on mood, right? Yep, yep. So it's frustrating for me, but, you know, I'm a bit of a fossil when it comes to this stuff because it used to be you had a CD with a key and you installed it and then you had it and it's yours and you don't have to worry about it, which is why I primarily game on yep. PC because I can go to Steam, which does that for me, or I can go to GOG, right. or I can go to these individual resellers that I at least have the option of owning the game. Well, I'll put an asterisk by owning, but... But yes, owning for the most part. But yes. So I, I have access at any point in time, whereas with Xbox Game Pass and PS Now, even though I don't care about it at all, or PS Plus... I, I may not get that game for the amount of time that I want to. And now I feel like I'm rushing through a game. So I'm getting external pressure from them. And, and sometimes they last for a long time, right? It's not necessarily a month exactly, but I don't like the external pressure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that kind of like you're getting that FOMO, like you, you pay the 15 bucks a month or whatever. And you're like, cool, I have 400, you know, access to 400 games or whatever, or hundreds of games at a minimum. But like now if I start playing one, I now have the added pressure of finishing that within a certain window of time if I decide that I don't want to continue this subscription, right? And right. I want to I make something abundantly clear just very quickly, okay? Um, the targeted audience for a subscription service like Game Pass is not me. It is also, like, not Brent. It is a very specific person, all right? Like, I consider myself a very hardcore gamer. I consider Brent a very, very hardcore gamer. Matt and Sean, you are also hardcore gamer, but gamers, but in different rights, right? I don't know that you still fit into that targeted blanket. Um, the targeted audience for a subscription service like Game Pass is somebody like my stepfather, okay? Uh, and case in point, today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the great fathers out there. Brent, happy Father's Sean. Day. Ha hey, happy yeah. Father's Day, guys. Happy, yeah. happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Happy um, Father's Day. Today, <laughs> I uh, I bought, you know, I bought my dad uh, six months worth of Game Pass. Uh, he is somebody who loves playing video games, but he has not kept up with them uh, in the last 10 years because of the growing price <laughs> tag associated with them. Fair enough. Uh, and Game Pass is a perfect service for him. I've just given him six, month ac uh, six months access to this, you know, library, and he's literally been playing video games all day, right? So, um, you know, he even at his prime was only buying, you know, three or four games a year. And when you look at the statistics and I don't have them right in front of me to be fair, right. But I'm throwing this out there. I think the average, the last I checked was that, you know, the average gamer is buying between three and five games a year. So when you look at a service like game pass, that suddenly throws that metric in the air you're suddenly not just restricting yourself to three or four games a year because now you have a library worth hundreds. And to be fair, you could work on that, you know, work through that library for a couple of years. Maybe, you know, Sean, just like you were saying, maybe you only play it for a month or two or you use it for a month or two and you play a game or two games and then you decide it's not really for you. But 
um, that's the beauty of Game Pass. If you decide it's not for you, you turn it off and you did not waste, you know, thousands of dollars on the 400 games added in that library. You know what I mean? If my stepdad decides that he wants to continue using Game Pass, well, then he'll re-up um, for 10 bucks, 15 bucks. You know what I mean? Um, and Which is nothing. Using the, that's nothing the compared Pass. to a AAA title. Let's keep in mind that we're looking Absolutely, at $60. yeah. What's what's Modern Warfare Two coming out on as seventy seventy five? Exactly. Like the price is going up. So. And when you look at when you look at these services, right, with like Game Pass, where Xbox is launching every single one of their first party exclusives, and Xbox is trying to purchase, you know, Activision right now. That's under review right now. So the next Call of Duty title after Modern Warfare Two will not just be a oh pay 60 bucks like if you're a game pass subscriber guess what like you don't have to pay the 60 bucks for call of duty going forward i guarantee you those will be launch day exclusives and you won't have to pay any extra money out of your pocket um for you know what i mean to, to play the game a triple a title i feel it i feel like i came away with you saying that xbox game pass is kind of like for for the casual gamer and I feel like it's good for casual gamer, but I don't feel like it's good for just the casual gamer. I agree um, wholeheartedly. X, yes. X, Xbox Game Pass gives me um, access to an enormous library. Uh, and more importantly, it gives me access to try games at zero risk um, that that I would never try previously. Like. Uh, what is it, like two two crowns or something like that? You know, I know. Yeah, they, there's a nice. Yeah, they've got a nice exactly. mix of like indie stuff mm -hmm. and then AAA stuff and then double A stuff too that we don't see anymore. So yep. Um, in a, in a day where game demos don't exist anymore, very rarely do you see yep. demos for games. Like just the other day, just a, a quick contextual like, hey, because this this mentality still exists. My wife came across the game, The Quarry. Right, which is like a horror. Oh, you drive the action sort of. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a two K games. It's sixty bucks. She's like, I really want that game, but I don't know that I would like stick with it and actually play it. I yep. wish there was a way to try it, and there's no way to try games like that anymore because you know, ninety percent of these companies do not develop demos anymore. Brent, you know what the crazy thing is? Is I I want to throw out there just really really quickly that is something that actually is coming back and I want to give it up to PlayStation. I think they've kind of led the industry to kind of head back towards this area because one of the features at the premium tier for this new PlayStation Plus thing is um you know PlayStation is saying, "Hey, if you're a PlayStation developer, if you're a first party developer, we're requiring I may have this wrong, but they are asking their developers in some way, shape, or form to produce demos. And I think that PlayStation is going to pay their developers an extra, you know, stipend. Hey, we're not going to require you to make a demo, but if you want to and you meet these, you know, prereqs, we're going to give you X amount of money on top of what we were already paying you to, you know, to ship the game. Xbox is also starting to do something, but I want to make it very clear that PlayStation, I feel like led the charge. I think uh, the charge on this, they, I think news broke for them first with the PlayStation uh, plus stuff uh, first. And I, so I, I do think that demos are coming back. That is something uh, that I, I, I think do everybody Sony, is. Sony's been the, very good. Mind of. Yeah. So I'm going to throw some nostalgia on you. Do you remember? I specifically remember that there used to be magazines that you oh. could buy and you get a disc in, yeah. in the, in the magazine you could magazine. put in. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. And you could yep. pop it in. I, I remember, remember my buddy had, um, some oh, demos and we'd so just excited. pop them in into the 360 or whatever and just start playing them. And then we get halfway through and be like, Oh, well, 
Oh, well. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Good times. It's good times, man. Good stroll down memory lane. Uh, you know, yeah. I had a really banged up, like, used Xbox, so those things were really hit or miss for me, but uh, I did have... <laughs> Wouldn't always uh, work. I did have some good times, yeah. Uh, that was, like, the game pass of the of the past. It was, like, a, yeah, the past. you know what I mean? A love letter to the okay. future back then. Yeah. So let's keep moving. Oh, um, so with with all the clients, let's, let's move to the more broad. We need to keep moving, but... We see a lot of different services now. So you've got Steam, you've got GOG, you've got Epic, Battle.net, Origin, the multiplicity of things you can do with Xbox, you know, yeah. both on yeah, PC yeah. and on console. Um, you can't forget EA Desktop oh. to a company, <laughs> Origin. Yes, that's so, right. You got it. Uh, yes. I don't. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so... it's a rabbit hole for another night. Yeah, yes, let's let's not. I'd rather not. Mm -hmm. So, what are, what are the pros? I want I want to do a pro and con of of these services. The big pro for me is that you get a lot of games for a little bit of money uh, on either side uh, for for whatever subscription, whether it's Sony or Xbox. Um, you pay ten twenty bucks, and now suddenly your ex, your your library has gone from a you know a hundred or two hundred games in some cases to well over 500, you know, games in a lot of other cases. So, um, yeah, man, I think that's great, right? Like when you tie a lot of stuff to a little bit of money, I think that's a big thing for me. Uh, the con is honestly, you know, or obviously not owning the games. Uh, that's the big con is now having some kind of, if I run out of money or internet access, <laughs> which is a big, uh, a big need for uh, services like this. If I don't have internet or money, Suddenly, that great library is gone. Um, and right. I understand, you know, these companies are businesses, uh -huh. but uh, sometimes people fall on hard times. And uh, the, what happens to my games that I've been working on? You know, suddenly I lose access. So I guess that's one pro, one con on my side. Yeah, and that's one of the one of the things that we'll talk about later is what are our rights and you know uh -huh. DRM, digital rights management. That that kind of stuff worries me, and that's why you know having these. So having like eight different clients to access all these games, right? It, it definitely, pain. yeah, it's pain, right? Like having to go to Epic <laughs> to launch Fortnite or having to go to Steam to launch this or, you know, over and over and over again. I've got, and it, and it eats up space too, like on my hard drive. And with games the sizes they are now, you know, I have to have two terabytes in my rig minimum. Absolutely. In order yeah, to... Minimum, dude. If I'm a PC player, like, wow. And then console... Good Lord, like you're cycling through games constantly. And so, yeah, you, I mean, you can get bigger storage, right? Which is fine. But gone are the days of, I, I have this game. I either install it or have it to play whenever I feel like it. And it's just an icon on my desktop. It's still an icon on my desktop for, for the majority, but I still have to have the launchers. It's not standalone. And it's eating up space and, you know, so I agree. I think the, I think having the variety is really cool, right? Especially with the indie market. I, I am a big proponent of the yes. indie games. The, some of those developers, man, they just, they do it right and they do really great things and it provides them a space to do it and get themselves out there. Whereas before, unless you had a big gaming company, it, you had 
struggles. So I love that. But again, having to, you know, bounce between all these different things is a big con for me. Um, and you can try and centralize them. So like one of the ways that you can do that is steam, at least for, for me, um, steam will allow you to import games and you can, can, you can at least tie the shortcuts right to another launcher or something like that with effort. With effort, though. <laughs> With it's effort. not yeah. straightforward. Who, who has time for that? And it doesn't even always who wants work. To do sometimes that? you have, yeah. Sometimes you have to launch Battle.net so you can launch Starcraft right. type of thing. Exactly. That, that because that's too. DRM, right? You have that's it has DRM. to check in. Let me ask you, and that was that was kind of going to be my question. There is now. This is not for for somebody who, and I own every single platform, right? So I'm I like to think of myself as agnostic. I know I'm I'm biased towards Xbox, but I've got I've got everything here. So uh, for me, though, DRM is a term that you know I did not really understand um, up until really today. Uh, but I'll say unofficially. I'll throw back to, you know, when the Xbox one was announced, right? When that generation was announced for the Xbox, it was not a great time uh, for the brand uh, just because of the way that they had marketed the console. And one of the features I think that turned a lot of gamers off, um, you know, Xbox had kind of taken a shift and branded themselves towards the, we want the casual gamer. We want the casual gamer. Uh, We want to put an Xbox in every living room and X, Y, Z, right? They wanted it to be this entertainment hub, Uh, And because of all these different things that they were adding on, you know, to the console for gaming specifically, I don't know why, but it, they had announced, Hey, all you're going to require if you, whether you own the game, uh, whether you're playing multiplayer, whatever your, your games are going to have to check in every 24 hours. And this was not something that had been like, it hadn't been standard in the console space. So the stuff that we're talking on, as far as DRM affects Every console, every yep. game, and ep- like today, going all the way backwards, <laughs> like it does not yep. matter where you play. Uh, DRM is something that affects you, and and essentially, in layman's terms, and this is how I've expressed it or explained it to myself, right? Like you're buying a game, or when you you pay that sixty dollar, you know, um, price tag. If you're if you don't physically own the disc. You don't really own the game, uh, and that's where Sean is kind of coming in with the players' rights. Uh, and I'm, I, yeah, I'm kind of simplifying some things here, but yeah, let's let's right. kind of slow so that down. So even even with you owning the disc, you technically don't own the game. You own a license. Oh, okay, fair enough. So you guys were okay, in the way right. that it's in the way that it's worded. So let's let's do this. We're, we're getting into the next topic, and I, I want to finish up. The pros and cons. So, you, t- I'm gonna give you my list, and you guys can add, right? So here's mm-hmm. here's some of my pros. Easy access. It is incredibly easy to get to these games. It's easy to purchase them. I install them. I play them. Not a big deal. I don't have to run to a yes. store. I don't have to have a physical disc. I don't have to have you know. I used to have a a case, a CD case that I would carry my games around in, with the the <laughs> yeah, packets or the pamphlets yeah. and the codes yeah. inside of it because I couldn't install yeah. it if I didn't have the code. Yeah. So it's ease of access. Love it. Um, I, I also think that it, it drives a competitiveness, right? Which is good in my opinion. If you if you have a multi-variety of services, they're all going to compete to be the best, which then makes a, presumably a better product. 
I like the competitiveness. I think it's great. You get a variety of prices. So, and there's some overlap between these, right? These games. So GOG may have it for cheaper than Steam or Battle.net may have something that is exclusive to them or something that bleeds over that is cheaper than somewhere else. You know what I mean? Excluding the the gray market. We're not going to talk about that. We're talking about specifically. Um, <laughs> we don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, yeah no, no, that's, that's over there. We're going to keep that over there. So yeah, those are those are my big pros. Would you would you all agree that those are absolutely pretty much the, yeah, the standard absolutely. pros for what we're talking about as far as the multiplicity yeah. of clients, right? Yeah. So cons. This for me. Uh, mm. So like with the Xbox Game Pass, something that you said, Jordy. If I lose internet, if I lose whatever i don't got it for some of it yes there are um, exceptions to this but yes for is, the most yes. part that is correct right so but it's still limiting you know if i don't pay the subscription if i don't Absolutely. pay yep. and this goes back to console subscriptions for live access which has bugged me since it came out that stuff drives me bananas which is also mm. why i'm i converted to to pc because i grew up console um like the management of all the games and all the installers hate it. Like I don't want to have to <laughs> to organize my stuff on my things to the point because I'm a bit OCD. It drives me bananas having to to client hop. I think that's a really big con, uh-huh. at least for me. I don't know what you guys feel yeah, about. Yeah, if, if I can be honest, I don't, it, it doesn't bug me. And I I knew that that was probably going to come up with one of you because uh, I know that yeah. you guys primarily play on PC. Now, a lot of my gaming happens on the console side. Uh, so that's why it may be lost to me. It doesn't really bother me, though, like if I'm having the hop between Steam or Origin or GOG or any of the Xbox right. or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, I didn't. I don't really understand that complaint on the... On the PC gamer side, you know what I mean? Not just you, Sean, but across, this, yeah, just in, for me. For the listeners, this is highly subjective, right? This is <laughs> not this is not a directive by any means. This is some personal preference here. But and, and we're also to to further clarify on that, we are talking about situations such as Fortnite, which is developed by Epic, which happens to be exclusive to the Epic Games launcher. Right. Or we're talking about an EA published game that happens to be published by EA and ran on the EA desktop or origin launcher. So there, there's a little bit of like, you have to understand who it's coming from to understand why that's the only place you can get it because right. they're trying to push their own stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And so again, that, that decentralized, management is something that drives me bananas and the potential lack of access depending on certain situations Yeah, because the lack of internet argument can could be uh could pertain to any of these platforms really i know we i know we focused on it from like the the game pass uh specificness but and and which we'll get into this yeah we'll get in this Mm -hmm. on the on another topic but you know, sometimes these games are looking to reach out to a server to say, hey, does this guy own this game? Yes or no. And yeah. if you're not on the internet, well, you may Too not bad. be playing that game that you already have downloaded. <laughs> regardless. Yeah, and I, 
You know, that's a that's a great point that I think we've kind of slept on. Um, Sean, I apologize. I don't want to take this con from you, but that is, I think, a, th- a thing that we've overlooked, at least to this point, for a topic like this. Um, this is a digital library. You have to download these games. Uh, so if yep. you don't have super fast or reliable internet, this does not mean that you, you know, I, I assume that a lot of us, you know, living in a first world country have pretty decent internet uh i can download a game in an hour you know what i mean that's not the case for everybody sometimes people yep. are having to wait 9 10 11 12 hours and i've 24 definitely been hours, in those cases before 24 hours 2 days exactly. it uh so maybe hey 400 games sounds great but if it's going to take you 10 years to play three of them <laughs> it suddenly doesn't sound that great right. anymore so uh i just right. wanted to kind of clarify that for like the sake of not sounding snooty. Uh, yeah. I get it. Not everybody. It's it's going to be applicable to everybody in different situations for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I, I don't foresee it going any other direction. It's going to happen. This is going to be the norm. This is the norm. So unfortunately, I mean, so you can go, there are third-party applications that will centralize things. And actually GOG, their launcher does a pretty decent job of marrying your library and being able to auto-launch Battle.net, like Brent was saying, or Epic, and run those games for you from a centralized platform. So there's ways to do it, but it's just adding extra steps. And so it starts to get messy. So again, it's not going anywhere. It is what it is. But I would be lying if I didn't say that it irked me. Absolutely. So. As an OG gamer, Sean, and I would definitely classify you as an OG gamer because I'd, you're <laughs> within the window of being, I think, just within yeah. five years older than me, I think. But I, I can, yep. you would have played the same games that like my mom grew up playing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And not because you're old, but because that's all that was then. That was that's all that was around back then, right? Yeah. So you guys kind of all grew up on the same thing. So when we're looking at like the transition for the future, there is a part of me being you know brought up as a gamer by ogs myself that is also irked you know in the same way of not having that immediate you know i know that this is mine because the mm-hmm. laws say that they are mine <laughs> okay uh, and now things okay. are a little different you know all righty jordy what a beautiful segue so i'm here for you let's move you on know what I'm saying? yeah <laughs> i appreciate it so point two uh, and this I is do want to. I, I want to point out really quick. This is a yeah. This is a long, long recording, but we skipped Matt yeah. for pros and cons. <laughs> oh, we I did. Got, I yeah. I got a quick. I got. I got a quick pro con for you. L- yeah, for let's it. hear it, Matt. Really quick. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I I do like the access that that you get. I mean, there's just a lot of games. If it was the old school version of, that I remember going to the store. I mean, man, there's a million of those indie games that I'd never even see the box for basically and uh so i like the storefronts um i do not like the multitude of storefronts it's very frustrating so that's like a con right there it's very frustrating having to be yeah. like well which yeah where did around. i buy this game so this is this is a real story i one of my friends recently convinced me to reinstall a game that i thought was trash it's because it is trash i'm not going to run it through the mud it doesn't need <laughs> it it knows that it's trash anyways <laughs> i reinstall i went to go reinstall it and um you guys all know what game i'm talking about and i think um, i do and i think are you throwing me under the bus am i the friend no 
And okay. right, um, no, though, you know what? You deserve it too, dang it. And for that, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. Anyways, um, I had to go because that one too had the same problem. I had to go, well, where was it? Where did I get it? Where did I get this game? Did I get it from Steam? Nope, it's not in my Steam library. Epic. No, these games aren't even hosted on Epic. Did I get it from the Game Pass? Well, it's available on Game Pass, but that's not where my account is originally licensed through. So I'm going to run into licensing issues, like weird, funky email issues, right? If I start doing stuff like that. And, you know, I I mean, yeah, I have to start like launching, you know, EA Desktop and Origin and, you know, the Bethesda launcher and all these different launchers. And I'm just trying to figure out where's my game. All I want to do is download the freaking game, man. The game that I paid for. I can't search for it on my computer because it's not installed yet. So I have to manually review all of these things. Sorry, I'm getting really riled up about this. Sorry. This this really frustrates me. Uh, no, I really I love want it, a centralized right. system. You're saying yeah, everything then, that I've just emotionally internalized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then the other thing that kind of bothers me is I, I don't really love the, the like subscription service and recurring revenue model prevalence in our society in general i see a lot of advantages to it don't get me wrong there's a ton of them right but it man it never ends to some degree i mean yes i get access to 100 games but man if there's 20 games in there that i really like then I don't know. I guess I can go buy the 20 games. It's still probably cheaper for me to maintain to maintain the model, but actually uh, and Matt, I, I don't I, know. Whatever. That is you're you're exactly right. There's something I feel like we could have started at this point and that would have been a good stepping off point, but there is a very big reason of why subscription services are prevalent now and they weren't prevalent yes. 10 years ago. And I'd like to cover yeah. that really quick before we transition. But the reason that things like Game Pass and, and PlayStation Plus or PlayStation Now or any of the subscription services that we're talking about are even a thing, right, are because games without the subscription service do not make enough money to sustain, you know, these developers or these big companies, right? Uh, if you think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the process or the lifespan of a game, um, actually, we'll say pre online pre Xbox live pre, you know, any of, of the mainstream online gaming experience back then you pay the price tag for a video game and what you pay for is what you get. Um, Patching wasn't really a thing until, you know, late 2000s, uh, at least in the console space. I don't know if, you know, games were patched on the PC prior to, you know, when that became popular for consoles. But that's not really relevant. Sometimes, um, sometimes you get, was that yeah, a rare could, occasion? Could, man, you could get some. There were some times that there, there, like after the web became a thing that was that was readily available. Um, at least I, I, to my awareness, it was readily available. I was I was young, right? Um, I, I remember patching. Okay. The, the, the big thing. And I, I yeah, it, I knew it was a thing, but it wasn't, you know, and to the extent that we have it now. And, and the, the, really the big point is game companies were spending millions of dollars and, <laughs> and the late, you know, two thousands, some of those got up to tens of millions. And then in 2013, you know, GTA five was made and the rumor on that was hundreds of millions. And since, we know for a fact that that amount of money has been spent on a lot of video games, um, you know, that that we played, you know, growing up. And to us, it doesn't seem like a crazy thing. It's there may be things that we don't even think about. But to put a $60 price tag on a video game 
and have a gamer in most cases play that for 15 to 20 hours and then put it down and never play it again, never spend money on it again. These game companies were losing out on a lot of money. So they said, hey, how how do we fix this? How do we figure this out? How do we put more money into our own pocket and keep the player engaged? And the first sign of that uh, or the first like industry shift of that was like microtransactions. Um, and obviously those are still a thing. I'm not even going to, I'm not going to dive into that conversation, but I think the next That's the topic we don't need of, to get into. Yeah, exactly. I think the next iteration of that, of like what Matt was saying of like this reoccurring revenue thing, how do we take money from the consumer, um, without it seeming super predatory? It's, it's tied to subscription services like this. And it really pains me to like, uh, excuse my language, but like take a shit on Xbox and PlayStation because I love them very, very much. They you know, I spend a lot of time playing these video games and, uh, you know, video games are great, but this is really just another avenue um, in some way, shape or form for them to to get more money from you. And obviously those things are not inherently evil. It turns into revenue for the brand mm. and what new features, not in all cases. I'm not saying, you know, I just want to make it clear. I yeah. I profit in some way, shape, or form from these services. So I don't want to be like that guy who's complaining and then I'm going to turn around and go play my Xbox you know, like after this. But uh, they do, they are great. But like the point of these things is to continue putting money into, you know, platforms like Xbox and PlayStation's pocket uh, because that's how they sustain themselves. And I am very interested to see how this turns out because Netflix is not doing great right now. And they are the godfather of like subscription services, right? So it's when you look at Xbox and, you know, this, these services like PlayStation now, Ubisoft, EA, whatever, what do these services look like in 10 years? Is this something that looks like it's viable now, but in five years we realize that it's not, or Xbox realizes that it's not, and suddenly Xbox Game Pass now costs $60 a month <laughs> to maintain? Like, what My does problem this is where look does it like? End? Where exactly. Does it end? And yeah, where does it end? That. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's move on. All right. So on to point two. Well, I you know, I, I love talking about subscriptions because Personally, I hate them, but getting to the point of you, you had said something about them not being inherently evil. I have my own thoughts about that based on the terms of services, right? That we have as gamers given to us by the companies, right? So we have to protect, they, or they have to protect their intellectual property, but this goes back to ownership. And this is point two. Do we own our games and what are our rights? Um, I'm going to go ahead and just blanket, put this statement out. We don't, we, we don't have a lot. Uh, there are entire law firms and lawyers out there for this very reason. So part of my research for this was to go through the terms of services for a lot of the big boys. So yay, steam, Epic, Gog, and out of them, Gogs was the only one that I even remotely felt comfortable with. And so what I'm going to do is I, I took some quotes out of here just to sort of drive this point home of how little we have control over. So here's, here's from Steam. It says, you become a subscriber of Steam by completing the registration of a Steam user account. Okay, that's fine. This agreement takes effect as soon as you indicate your acceptance of these terms. Cool. Further down, your subscriptions require the download and installation of content services onto your computer. Valve hereby grants you... And you accept 
a non-exclusive license and right to use the content for your personal non-commercial use. This license ends upon termination, blah, 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 and it includes the license. It is not sold. Your license confers no title or ownership in the content services. So Steam says anything you buy, it's not yours. We license it to you. So you don't own it. And this is, I'm assuming that that, that something, just to kind of save us a little tiny bit of time and also for my own interest, I'm assuming that something similar rings very, or, or is in each of the, you know, the terms that you read uh, across yep. the, the different ones that you reviewed is something along those lines. Right. I did Steam because it's one of the big boys, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah. I, I have I have multiple, multiple quotes here because I went through <laughs> I literally went through every terms of service. So this is the last bit of Steam, right? And this is the one that that kind of made me catch my breath. It says to the maximum extent permitted by applicable law, neither Valve nor its affiliates guarantee continuous error free virus free or secure operation and access to Steam. The content and services, your account and subscriptions, or any information available in connection therewith. So they don't even guarantee that you'll have access to your yep. library. Yep. yep. So that means if you don't have internet, if your account gets compromised, you can put in a service ticket. That's fine. But in in the terms of service, it even says that you're reliable for that as well. They're essentially washing their hands of it. Yeah. Right? They're uh, washing yeah. their hands of it. And that, you know, my Steam library, me, me and Matt had a conversation about this where we've we've got a lot of money but you can get calculators right he had mentioned a lot dude i have yeah. an insane amount of money invested yeah. in the the amount of video games that i actual plural video game titles that i own <laughs> exactly um and so and, hey, it doesn't guarantee your, you yeah to your to your point xbox has had outages uh on their side i think i can think of three major ones in the last handful of years that i've personally experienced where it did not matter what you know, convoluted setup you had. Uh, it, it didn't matter what you did. It didn't matter if you had a hotspot. Didn't matter if you had internet access. Xbox's nope. network was down, so my access to my entire library, whether I had purchased the games or they were downloaded through Game Pass, I could not play for hours exactly. at a time, uh, four or yep. five hours in some cases. And there have been cases where I've had buddies who have taken days off to play, you know, little mental health relaxation days, zip down days, and boom, whole day's thrown in the trash because of an outage that lasted seven hours. You know what I mean? Right. Cough, so, Brent, cough. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. So here's what's interesting, though. So, you know, this this basically is iterated through the terms of services for pretty much everyone. The interesting thing from GOG is, I won't read it for the sake of time, but basically they give you, if they fold, because Steam doesn't do this. Steam does not promise any sort of guarantee of even being alerted. You'll probably under, understand or know that they're folding, however unlikely it is. But God gives you 60 days to download your stuff and you can play it. It's yours. It's in their terms. So it's pretty nice. It's, it's the only one that pretty does nice. that, right? From what I've read so far, and I could be missing some because terms of services are very difficult to get through. It's a lot of legal jargon. But yeah, basically, they're one of the... Only ones I've found so far that'll let you do that. And that scares me 
that scares me that I'm paying all of this money and investing all this time into stuff that could magically at, you know, the wave of a wand go away circumstantially. Mm. And that, that, mm, it just doesn't, man, it doesn't sit well with me. It's very chapping. It's not a sexy topic. You know what I mean? Like this is not something no. where maybe as we're explaining this, right? Like admittedly so, maybe there, you know, if you're a listener and you've gotten this far, maybe this is putting you to sleep a little bit. And let me tell you why this is important. You know, all four of us specifically have observed this transition uh, transition in the gaming industry over the last 20 years. What it was when I, you know, was playing video games is not what it is today. And the same rings true for the the three of you guys. Right. Uh, And the fact of the matter is, is that it is, it's Matt said something early on that kind of stuck with me, right? You know, you may think that, Hey, you go to a GameStop or an EB games, or, you know, I don't know where you buy a Best Buy, a Walmart or something. Right. And you go physically buy that disc and maybe you think you own it, but it's not that cut and dry. You're essentially buying a license and, and and today's you know industry, that license is required to check in with home base, whoever that is. Yeah, right. uh, and if you don't have an internet connection, you can't play that game. Regardless, it doesn't matter that you went, Xbox doesn't care that you went and bought, you know, or you spent $60 of your own hard-earned money, or I'm sorry, $70 now. That's the new price tag for these games that are going to for the deluxe AAA ones. Exactly right. It doesn't matter that That's you gross. spent your hard-earned money on these titles, right? You are buying a license. And the minute that that license cannot check in with home base or something screws with the check-in process of that license and, <laughs> you know, communicating with home base, you're not playing the games, whether it's an outage nope. on your end or, uh, you know, the distributor's end. And it's as simple and as so, that. Exactly. That and that is yep. a beautiful segue into the last topic. Point three, DRM, digital rights management. Mm-hmm. And... Mm. Man, so let's kind of get some backstory here. DRM developed as a way to sort of protect copyright, but also control distribution of not only just games, but software and anything that's digital. The, the definition for DRM, so that it's a little bit clearer, is all form of access control technologies used to control the use, modification, and distribution of copyrighted works, as well as the systems that enforce those policies, regardless of how it affects the end user. That last portion uh, is pretty interesting, regardless of how it affects the end user. So it's not just limited to the game space. It is intellectual property as a whole in the digital sphere. And it actually... Is interesting because it, it goes back into like the late '60s, as far as what that looked like. Um, interesting, which is wild. Yeah, if you look up the actual yeah. history, it was like late '60s, early '70s that you know they were starting to implement these ideas and talk about these ideas, and then it really started taking off in uh, in the '90s. So, and that's when you know the big internet boom hit and computers are becoming much more personal, but it's, it's kind of a scary thing because, and I've, I've heard it explained a couple of ways. Um, and there's a guy that I listened to a YouTube, he's a professor that, um, basically is anti DRM 
and he's been around for a long time. His video is from 10 years ago, right? And he's talking about how DRM basically starts to divide the internet into two different things, which is free space, open distribution, creating culture from these open resources that we're able to, to handle and move about. And then you have the very much commercialized lockdown, can't tamper with, can't distribute, can't do anything with internet. And so that's bled into every area of our lives now. And I'm not really, man. So I, I kind of get it from the standpoint of, yes, you need to, to protect your IP. You've spent a lot of time and money developing these games and these pieces of software. But at the same time, it goes back to ownership. You're basically leasing them. You're, you're paying for a license and that access in a very limited capacity. Um, I don't know. It, I'm curious what your perspectives are because I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted because I understand both sides, but the way they're implementing it now, like you said, Jordy, with these things have to check in before you're able to access them. Yeah, and man. So, with it, and it, it's they all and they absolutely have to. They with the amount of things. I mean, our first episode we were talking about cybersecurity, uh, mm -hmm. and I know we kind of bridged that into gaming, but like it's there is a reason these things have to check in, <laughs> uh, and right, yeah. that kind of sucks for us. Um, but Sean, you've made some great points. The the distributors have to take care of their baby, their IP, their intellectual property. Like they, it's in their best interest and the consumer's best interest. So. My, I'm, I don't want to say like uninformed, you know, um, opinion, but like my thought process is DRM is as crappy as it is, uh, is, is a much needed evil. Uh, and I'm, I, again, I say uninformed because I'm not up to date with like all of the cons that it brings to the table, but right. to me, I kind of understand so like, you know, Hey, I don't want hackers in my game. And I feel like DRM at a very high level can help, you know, but uh, here's here's the counter argument to that. What is it actually doing? Because you still have them and people still try. And so what is it doing which for is the a consumer great point. <laughs> that's so right. So with with the people that are trying to hack and you know pirate these games, they're gonna do it anyway. And they're still gonna find a way around it. And they do. Like you can't tell me that people aren't pirating games, that they're distributing software. I know guys that that pirate they have thing they have bots that crawl the internet and you know grab stuff so the drm they have in place okay but it's really just kind of negatively impacting the people that are consuming it the way they're supposed to so what is it really doing I feel like a lot of this hinges on, and I am, I do, I want to hear from Brent and Matt kind of on this. I feel like yeah. a lot of uh, hinges on the transition that we've kind of spoken out uh, uh, or spoken about a handful of times throughout, you know, this podcast, the transition in gaming in general, like DRM maybe was not something that was needing in the gaming space. You know what I mean? If between 2000 and 2010 uh, mainstream, you know, for everybody, right. For every title that came out. Uh, and now that we've, 
really embraced, you know, as, as the human race, we've embraced, you know, the internet is really a part of who we are at this point in time and, and our, <laughs> you know, our up and comingness in the universe. Um, I think the games, the types of games that are being created, I think maybe it's needed. Uh, and, and I don't know, that's, I, I'm just kind of making a, I'm kind of throwing that out there, but Brent, Matt, do you, do, do you guys feel like the transition that we've made into this, like always on space, uh, has impacted how much, you know, DRM impacts our experience as gamers? Does that question make sense? You know what I mean? Like we didn't have modern warfare twos in 1999, you know? Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I've gotcha. Um, so imagine that you're sitting in, you know, you're the head of the, of, of, you know, uh, your software development company, your game company, and you're sitting in front of the board that, that, um, you know, finances your company and you're going, yeah, I, I don't really want to put in DRM. It's a pain in the rear end and it, and it hurts performance. Um, and the board's going, well, but then how, how do we protect our investment? Right. How do we ensure that we get the best return possible? Right. And I I mean, you can say things like, well, but the game will run better. So people will be more likely to buy it. And you can make the arguments that the people who are going to buy are going to buy. And the people who want to pirate are just going to pirate it anyways. But at the end of the day, if you're not doing what I like, what, what would qualify as sufficient diligence, then, um, you know, you're undertaking a, a significant risk with your investment. So it's, I, I personally find DRM to be unfortunate. I am not a personal fan as a consumer. As somebody who looks at things from a risk perspective, I think that the risk of piracy is significant. And um, if we can, like, if I was, if I was consulting a company and if I had an opportunity to delay the ability for piracy to execute for say the first th three to six months, you know, man, most people who are going to buy it are, are like, who are really into it are going to buy it the first few weeks. Right. Yep. And then I assume sales drop significant. I mean, I, I've not done these analytics, but my assumption is that by the end of the first month, the flood of sales is over. So if I can delay piracy for one month, then um, I can arguably say I've retained X amount of sales. And uh, then, you know, it's up to somebody to do the fancy math about how much money that saved or didn't save and, you know, how much money was lost because the review said, well, my, my stuff stuttered every three seconds, which is a real problem with some like that's 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 real stuff that that really happens with with or drm the servers are online just for you to available. authenticate just aren't aren't available man right and you so know, now you can't it, get in because your game is uh, it can't communicate or your software can't communicate and can't license it's, yeah it's i very, i understand very, it. very frustrating i understand you need to protect so, your your ip but man I, it's like it, you're punishing the it sucks because yeah. you punish the consumers that are paying the money. It's like ads on DVDs. Why the heck are you giving me ads on the DVDs? I bought your stupid DVD. Put the ads on the pirated versions. I I know that that's not a real thing, right? <laughs> like, Wouldn't that be nice? Like, that's huh? how I, <laughs> like, like stop! I bought your stuff. Stop punishing me. Right. Gosh dang it.
That's how that's uh, how I feel about DRM. I get it, but Brent, I also want to be like, stop punishing me. How how you feeling, sir? I'd I'd say that I'm pro- I align pretty much with Matt. I mean, I, I will say that you know back in the day that the pirating was substantial, but we all we're talking about two different eras too. Because the way I look at it now, we get a lot of unfinished games these days, mm-hmm. and I almost feel like oh my it's gosh. harder. It's harder for a pirate to pirate a game at this point than it was 10 years ago because 10 years ago the game was released and it might get one, maybe two patches and you're done. Today we're getting patches monthly. We're getting patches every two weeks because the games aren't done yet. Yep, monthly at a minimum that's the standard. And here's the thing though. It's a strategy in some shape or form too because let's say the game releases and a pirate, pirate, you know, they crack that game. They've got a cracked launcher. They got a cracked DRM, whatever. The developer releases a patch in two weeks. Typically, they're going to have to recrack that game because now yep. they can't play that game anymore. They can't play the new content that they released or the fixes that they released because as soon as they patch that game, it breaks the crack. They yep. fix the crack. Two, three, four weeks later, another patch comes out. And they're doing it all over again. Tell me who wins in that situation. I feel like the developer's winning in that situation because now because they've they've introduced yet another inconvenience into pirating a game because it's not as simple anymore as just downloading that pre-packed cracked game and being done with it and so it makes it very hard for people to legitimately download something that seems you know that that they make it look easy like hey this is a pre-cracked game or something like that i know we've referenced stuff like pirate bay and stuff like that in the past but just the point is, is that developers have made it very hard for that to even be a thing simply because they are patching at such a regular cadence and they're releasing games that aren't even really ready for, for they production. They require the updates. So it's a, it's a natural. They require return. the updates. Yeah. They won't function. And it's kind of a, it's Period. kind of a strategy, man. I, I feel like part of it is, it's like, Hey, in addition to us simply just not being ready to put the stamp of, you know, completion on this thing. We also get the benefit of it's going to be much harder for people to steal this from us because we're always going to be iterating on it. And if they want the iterations, they simply have to buy it on a trusted platform, a trusted digital storefront, whatever, whatever the case may be. That, that's how you get the, the full experience of whatever you're purchasing. You're, you're getting your money's worth over time, not necessarily at purchase. Right. Okay, so I just, and I do have, I have like a small call to action here. This is just food for thought, okay? So if you're listening to this episode this far in, okay, um, this all comes down or or plays into like games preservation, right? And uh, I don't want to, I don't want to sit on a, on a soapbox and say, hey, listen, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, because it's, it's nothing like that. But really that what it comes down to is, you know, video games are, they are an art medium uh, for our race as a whole, and they are not an art medium that can kind of be looked down upon as like, oh, this is just the this is just something that like the rebel kids do after school. Right. Or whatever. I don't know who's saying that, but <laughs> like billions of people play video games uh, that that is we can prove that <laughs> that that many people. Right. I think uh, at a minimum, it's like three billion people or something. So not quite half of the race. Right. But enough people play it. All right. Video games 
are a way, just like with movies and music and uh, TV shows and, and all of that, they are ways for us to tell stories that transcend time, right? Uh, you can get a little tiny snapshot into what was going on 10 years ago, right? And what the you know, political climate kind of felt like by what was going on in certain games. You know what I'm saying? So um, this is this is important, right? It helps to tell our story. Uh, and I would very much like, you know, my kids and my kids' kids to be able to grow up and experience the same stories that I hold, you know, very dearly to my heart. That would be great to me, right? Uh, so anyways, um, small, tiny call to action. If this sounds like something that is important to you or pertinent to you things like game pass and playstation now and or playstation plus or whatever any of the other you know subscription services that we've talked about digital storefronts digital gaming as a whole those things are great they've helped advance you know the industry uh and we're moving into new spaces cloud streaming or cloud gaming that is also awesome but it does impact game preservation uh, in some way, shape, or form. All right. So if this is something that's that's important to you, uh, go check out GameHistory.org. Uh, they do a lot of stuff on uh, all things game preservation, uh, studying where games have been, where games are going, and the best way uh, to essentially preserve this art form, this art medium. How do we continue, you know, preserving everything that this industry has brought to the table, and what is the best way to do that going forward? Um, it's not really a hot topic, but it should be. Where is this industry space going to be in 50 years? Uh, and how will we look back on everything that's happened 50 years from now? Right. So, um, yeah, kind of uh, kind of in depth there just a little tiny bit. Uh, but I wanted to throw that out there. This is kind of this is kind of serious. It's kind of important. <laughs> uh, so well, for the people yeah, that gonna, play the games. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely yeah, important. Yeah. You, and you need to know when you, if you're going to invest the, the point of this episode, in my opinion, is to understand what you're doing with your money and the games that you're purchasing. So you understand and aren't blindsided. These things are yeah. a reality. They're not going to change anytime soon. What it's supposed to do is help you understand when you go, hmm, I want to purchase this game. You don't own the game. So yeah. it might not always be there. And if you really, really care yeah. about that game, maybe you should invest in the retro consoles to try and keep that alive. Or mm. you... You know, you preserve it in your own way, like you said. If yeah, you there's wanna, not really there's a games solid that I answer. Have, yeah, there's not. There's games that I have for my son that I want him to play. So I bought retro consoles so that I don't have to depend on those things. Yeah, it's just informational. Like now, it's to help you. Where games, it's just like what Brent is saying, where games are like requiring those updates. What does that mean 20 years from now? How do you preserve right. something uh -huh. that may not be there? When you have right. a game like Destiny 2 who has, you know, a third of his content, you know, of his content being vaulted once Locked. a year. How do you don't preserve those things? Don't, don't, you know what uh, I'm saying? So, again, that's, that's another topic, game. but just... Yeah, so shut it, it down. That'll be gone. That'll be gone. Mm -hmm. So, mm. so something like like Destiny Two. One day they're just gonna be like, you know what? There's like 300 players left here. We don't care. Good night. <laughs> Good night. We're done. Yeah. You know. Yes, uh, and that'll be it. And Destiny Two will never be able to launch again. Yep. There it is. Alrighty. Boom. So I think that's a good point to wrap up. Is you know to summarize, there's big changes, and you know your rights as a gamer right now unfortunately are you're leasing your games and so if you want if you want to keep certain games maybe want to think about that um i'd highly recommend if you generally 
or genuinely care about your rights, go read the terms of services. I'll, I, I have the links to them. They're going to be in the show notes. Um, I'm also going to link that YouTube video, uh, video from, uh, his name is Lawrence Lessig from 12 years ago, actually. And uh, that'll also be in the show notes. It's like an eight minute video, but it, it, he's super smart guy and he kind of brings up some good points. So I'd recommend looking that up as well. But yeah, that's, uh, that's it for this one. So check us out on discord. Yeah. Come join yeah, discord. We're happy to are. talk about it <laughs> at digital. Little sit. Yep. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear from our listeners. Uh, what do you guys think about DRM? Uh, do you guys use subscription services? And if so, do you guys have any favorites? Did, did we miss any by chance? Is there maybe something good about DRM that we missed? I don't know. You know, everyone's got different perspectives. Come to our discord, mm-hmm. uh, drop by our forum. Um, Come by our under construction website, digitalascent.tech. Thank you for listening to the Digital Ascent Podcast. Make sure to check us out on Twitter, Discord, and at our website at digitalascent.tech.